Hi, regular listeners, you may have spotted that we've changed our name. It's now Honey & Co. The Food Sessions. So if you hear this sound, it's just us making dinner. Well, that and the fact that we're not allowed to use our old title anymore. It's just been a bit of a thing, but don't worry about it. We hope you enjoy the show. Hi, I'm Sarit Becker. I'm Itamar Srulovic. Together we run a couple of Middle Eastern restaurants in London. And we also do our fair share of food writing. And welcome to Series 6 of Honey & Co. It's a series of talks we host in our little deli Honey & Spice on Warren Street. We talk to chefs and cookbook writers and waiters and managers and people we admire from the world of food. This season we got to meet some incredible people. We've cooked their food. We've learned so much. We are so excited to share this with you. I hope you enjoy as much as we did. Tonight we're joined by Donald Skeen, the wonderful Irish food writer. We had such a funny night. We talked about life as a YouTube sensation, which everybody wants to know about. Crazy fun. I hope you enjoyed it as much as we did. We are so happy to have Irish food writer, photographer, television presenter, and YouTube sensation. Would you take that? I'll take, take whatever it. you take. Donald Skeen <laughs> here tonight to talk to us all about his life in food. Donald has come all the way from his home in L.A. How glamorous. It's part of the book tour for Superfood in Minutes. Please give Donald a huge hand to welcome him. Start with the beginning in Ireland. In, you grew up in quite a foodie family and quite a food centric family. I did, yeah. yeah. I grew up, uh, so my parents worked in the food business um, very much. And actually, it was my, grandpa, my granddad who had a fruit and vegetable shop on Dorset Street in Dublin. So my dad kind of took on that mantle when he started his business and um, started a shop and grew it to um, wholesale fruit and vegetables. So when we were doing our homework around the kitchen table, I remember him ordering punnets of strawberries and bags of potatoes and all that sort of stuff. And he often, his kind of highlight was bringing home the strangest ingredient he could get his hands on so that we'd all ooh and ah over it. <laughs> and what was the most exciting? Oh, he, he loved kind of the, the fruit, the like kumquat. I remember coming home yeah. and ugly fruit and things like that that just you wouldn't see in the shops in Ireland. So he ha- he managed to kind of track these things down and bring them home and get get and us all very excited about to it. To have like just some normal food. We really all we wanted was spaghetti bolognese, so uh, <laughs> or an Irish stew. Yeah, all, it's all everyone wants. So it was quite a foodie house. They were quite a foodie about. house. Yeah, no, and I think so. My dad, it was from a business side of view that was um, his thing, and my mom, I would say, is actually the real cook. You know, in the family, my grandmother was an amazing um, cook, and I would say like a real home cook because she had confidence and I think most home cooks you know who are really good at what they do is uh, is to have that confidence and she used to watch you know all the TV shows and you know she'd have all the cookbooks and she had that ability to be able to kind of go into the kitchen and I remember very late just before she died actually um, she I, I remember going to the house and she was in her kind of late 80s and I said what did you have for dinner expecting her to say something really simple and she'd whipped up a souffle with you know <laughs> and I was like you know things like that where it would kind of throw you know we'd throw the most most of us but she was still doing very sophisticated dishes even late into her 80s and I, I always was very inspired by that and the smell of roast lamb from her her house on a Sunday was one of my fondest kind of early food memories so she was a fantastic cook and and so therefore my, my mom kind of took on that as well and 
uh, my aunt was a as a food stylist as well. So we kind of one of the first jobs I ever had was assisting my aunt um, shelling um, prawns, uh, like buckets of prawns for a, a Bailey's cookbook that they were shooting in the, <laughs> in the in the nineties. And the photographer who was um, who was quite esteemed at the time, um, uh, what was his name, Walter Pfeiffer, and um, I remember watching him work and her work, and they were still at that stage where you would take Polaroids of the food before you take the final shot because yeah. film was so expensive at the time. I suppose I grew up with that various different kind of tastes. For prawn and Bailey's sauce. There you go. I've never made prawn and Bailey's sauce. In fact, I'm still getting over that experience. The taste of Bailey's kind of makes me kind of yeah. But it's 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 a lovely ingredient. You can use it in different ways, but maybe not with prawns. Not, yeah. <laughs> but what was kind of the, the food scene like at the time when when you were growing up? We all know of kind of. Know the Allen, you family of Ballymaloo and things like yeah. that. Yeah, well, I think what I was, was food media like. I suppose the Ballymaloo sort of thing had an influence in a way. I never attended, but I think I always dreamed of going to Ballymaloo um, because my my aunt had gone, my uncle, both two of my uncles had gone. Oh. So I was very much, you know, the recipes that were brought back from Ballymaloo were certainly kind of had an input in our in our kind of family life as well. So that was always um, quite intriguing. I was always mesmerised by the idea of Ballymaloo, which is this fantastic Irish. Um, Irish cookery school uh, run by Dorina Allen and the Allen family but I, I actually only got to it only about seven years or eight years ago so it was uh, it was definitely something that I always it was always part of you know what Irish food and culture was yeah. yeah so so no I think um, at that time I suppose we were you know growing up it was we were used to things like spaghetti bolognese and your bog standard you know home cooking you know shepherd's pie Irish stew that sort of stuff and so for me that actually kind of was the catalyst for looking beyond those classic recipes and I was really intrigued by Asian food um, my grandmother had given me a cookbook uh, this kind of encyclopedia of, of Asian cookery which is now that I look back at it I kind of always think, thought it was really high end but actually it was kind of one of these Hamlin kind of <laughs> you know generic Asian cookery yeah. books but still at that stage you know it was in it was different enough to feel like something special so my favourite thing on the weekends was uh, my aunt introduced me to um, the Asian market on Drury Street in Dublin which at the time was one of the few Asian markets and um, I loved the idea that um, in fact I was downstairs in your store cupboard and loved the idea of that I might be able to rob a few um, olive oil bottles and <laughs> spice jars and honey jars but it is that kind of idea when you go to an Asian market where you get those big bottles of things that you know will last six or eight months yeah. or twelve months or in my grandmother's case about seven years yeah. um, you know so it's it, a family heirloom, it's a family heirloom. <laughs> exactly when when you pick it up off the shelf and it's still sticking to yeah, it that's how yeah. you know it's a good ingredient to you need to pry it off <laughs> your hand <laughs> exactly yeah. exactly so my my thing in my teens was to to go into the Asian market and come back with these bags of random ingredients that I'd found, whether following a recipe or something I'd been intrigued by, and trying to recreate recipes and things as ridiculous as um, fortune cookies to you know something a little bit more complex. You like made fortune cookies. I made fortune cookies. Yeah, that wow. was my that was my piece de resistance at, di- at, at family dinner parties was making co- fortune cookies. But that I burnt so... my fingers many times trying to bend it over the side of glasses and things like that. But yeah, I mean I think. When you tell me this now, I think it's so obvious that you were going to go into food, but that was not 
the, the first path that you went down. No, you I th- went I, to music. The interesting thing was that, and I often get this question because it, obviously uh, there's this giant moment in my career where it was not food at all. It was music. But, you know, all through my childhood, I, was, I had that interest in food. I remember my mom asking me why I wanted to watch Delia Smith and why I was wa- sitting down with her watching the food and wine show with Jilly Goulding and all that. <laughs> I, or, is it Jilly Cooper or Jilly Goulding? Jilly Goulding, yeah. yeah. Sorry, Jilly Cooper's the, yes, she does that lovely, those lovely romance novels. Yeah. Um, <laughs> had a fondness for that too but that's another story um, but no I think that uh, it always was a part of what I was interested in and I think because it was because in that sense I, it was always a hobby to me I didn't necessarily think it was going to be something I would end up working with yeah. um, and the kind of career strange move I had was was in music and I always loved performing when I was a, a kid in school and you know any of the school musicals I was always part of so there was the, the two great loves of mine along with um, art were were music and food so, um, so the, you were in a couple of bands and, and you did really well actually. yeah we, we had a, a boy band that did not do very well and uh, me joining a boy band was the equivalent for my mother of joining the circus so, um, so as you can imagine when you've just got your child through you know uh, uh, primary school and secondary school and then you've got them into college and then they announce that they're going to join a boy band it's probably the, your worst nightmare so my mum had to deal with that and then uh, went to do that realised that actually I can do a bit of this this is quite intriguing and in the boy band we had um, a very interesting experience with um, the manager of uh, Lou Perlman who is this kind of he's he, he died recently but he um, he did the Backstreet Boys and Britney Spears and then sink out of millions and all sorts of things and we had this strange situation where we went and flew over to Florida and auditioned for him and we're experiencing this huge house filled with you know uh, MTV awards and you know movie screening play. It, was, it was actually featured on MTV Cribs so we had this completely bizarre experience and then he took one of us and sent the rest of us packing and so we all went back <laughs> home and that was the end of that but I actually there's a documentary on YouTube that's just been um, put out by uh, one of the members of NC who who basically details the horrific treatment they had in terms of like the finance side of things and how how the pop music world uh, works. I'm sure this is what you've all come for to listen <laughs> to listen to. As listen, we sit if in it this... isn't, you're in front because we have all the clips. <laughs> oh god, and this is what we're no, doing no, for no. the rest of the evening. No, no, no. Um, so we had that experience and of course I was sent packing and we, I came home going what do I do with my life and at the time I, um, I was working I had went back and I studied media studies and I got a job in a, in a uh, music TV station and I was writing for my sins showbiz gossip segments um, and absolutely bored out of my tree at the time it was when food blogs were, were taking off and um, as always I come back to food it was always the you know even when I was in the band I was still uh, I would cook for the other members of the band and this was my this was my thing that I, I could show off with and yeah. I love that and uh, you know I love the idea that you can please people with food and in, in that sense it was always part of what, what I did so anyway I was working in the music TV station the food blogs had just kind of taken off so I was following the pioneer woman before she was the pioneer woman Reed Drummond and Matt Bites who's a fantastic LA based photographer who had his blog was, was really big at the time and Deb Perlman from Smitten Kitchen it was that kind of zeitgeisty yeah. moment of food blogs where you know there was huge respect for you know it being a kind of um, I suppose a trailblazing moment in taking it away from I suppose chefs on TV to something that kind of allowed food writers to to evolve and in different ways kind of explore food in a very 
refreshing way, you know, where there was a natural kind of impetus of a back and forth conversation where before I think it was chefs on TV where this is how it was done. But actually food blogs kind of opened those doors to a new way of looking at food. And, you know, and even to this day, you know, what is it like 10, 15 years on from the evolution of food blogs, you're now seeing kind of YouTubers who are diving deep into subjects and topics that you can really get far geeking more interesting out. geeking out yeah. I think that I really think that's the new trend at the moment yeah. is the yeah. is the geeking out on, on specific foods and ingredients I mean, and recipes this and is what we do exactly <laughs> this is this is what your experts at but so. I, I do th- I do think that it's very for the longest time you know in food yes but in all types of media it was a very close circuit mm. and then suddenly it was liberated and there was you know new platforms for new ideas to get to market and I think the the people that did it well did it really well i mean mm. you, you do it with commitment and and you want to create something you know that you have a real strong voice yes it comes through and and yours caught on quite amazingly well the, the good mood food blog yes it's a good name i don't know if i'd go back or would i still call it that who knows but it's actually really the, good thank you well the yeah. impetus behind it was that at the time i had just moved out uh out of home like i was 21 and i moved in with my uh first girlfriend and now wife and um she uh she put up she's been putting up with it for a very long time but um we'd moved into the apartment and always through my childhood i'd always kind of kept i say childhood i wasn't i was kind of in my teens i would um write down recipes that i was making and I love that idea of like cataloging things I've always been quite intrigued by the idea of cataloging things and scrapbooking and things like that and um, the recipes that I first cooked on the food blog were those recipes from those notebooks and you know it was basic stuff like pizza bases and um, you know things that my my grandmother had taught me to cook and roast lamb and the the classics that I grew up with and then I think it was kind of looking towards uh, I noticed that my cooking was changing and I was eating a lot more kind of healthy food and you know I was first first kind of opportunity to cook for myself where it wasn't that influence of your mom kind of telling yeah. you what's for dinner and it was you had free reign so it was at that time uh, I just turned 21 and uh, the, my birthday present um, from my family at that time was a was a digital camera and the first photo I took on my digital camera was a pizza pizza base <laughs> or making the showing how to make pizza and posted on a food blog and the rest is history it's literally snowballed from there into from a from a blog into a book and then the book went to a tv show and i've kind of been on this treadmill for a very long time and um but i do think coming back to that idea of the freedom you have in a food blogging space it just made it uh, there was a there was a lovely excitement at that time where you could kind of do something different and you know even to this day you still have people going are you a chef or are you and I'm not like I'm a, I'm a food writer I write recipes and I I take food photographs and you know that's always what has been uh, what's driven things and at the time in Ireland there was very few other um, food blogs you know and and still to this day there's very few um, ones that are still as as active as it was at that time so one thing that was really key to my food blog was that there was consistency to it and so there was a regular voice going out there the photographs at the time there was very few food blogs with photographs so all these things kind of added up to kind of getting some some sort of attention that kind of brought it to the book and um, it was an exciting time because I had no I had no idea it would lead to what I'm doing now and and I think I as always I come back to the idea that 
that it, food for me has always been a passion and a hobby and you have to and even like we're nine cookbooks in and like 25 different television projects we've done I still have to kind of take that time to step back and find like nurture the inspiration and nurture the passion because it's very easy as I'm sure most people might have experienced you know in work that you kind of if you're dealing with something that has become a hobby it's very easy to kind of find you kind of it go a little a bit job. dead behind yeah. the eyes and you know it becomes a job and so to try and kind of do those I mean we were talking downstairs about um, you going off to the, the east coast of America and trying to kind of find new food inspiration and I think that for me has always been an important part that kind of revitalizes that moment so that it steps you away from the work side of it and actually kind of reminds you that food is just this entirely huge world that yeah. can be explored in so many different ways and so many different takes on it and I, and I love that that food bloggers in general kind of seem to sometimes still get a bad rap and I hear people kind of giving out about it and actually you know I, I'm probably far more excited about reading a food blog by someone who's really passionate by a, a single topic than I would be, you know, going to a Michelin star restaurant. Yeah. So I, I, I don't know. I mean, I do, I do think that the kind of you can feel the, the, the curiosity mm-hmm. and the passion and of someone who's doing it, you know, not to clock in and out, but to do it because it makes them happy. Absolutely. Know, this is where they are at. Mm. But this this is, you know, the whole thing happened quite quickly for you. I mean, quite quickly and quite big. You yeah, know. well, it's funny because I get that a lot, and actually, um, you or know, did it? I don't that's know. what I think. Yeah. You know, I think it looked, it often looked like that, but actually, it took, you know, the as I'm sure you know, with the many countless cookbooks you guys have, is that like cookbooks Only don't three, man, and three I'm but you know, we have nine and thirty-three. <laughs> I hate you. <laughs> I'm sorry. I mean, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> it's too. It's a lot. I mean, it's a lot of work. But it, it, you know, like that, it is yeah. a huge amount of work, and it is not just you know, like we're sitting here with a stack of books behind me, and you know. I look at this and it's taken like a year and a half to really kind of hone the idea, bring it to fruition, get a book deal, you know, find the recipes that you're really excited that you want to share that fit to a, to serve a purpose. And for me, uh, you know, I've always said I'm in, I am in service to the home cook. That is my, my ethos is always to kind of find recipes that are doable and that are accessible. And that has always been the selling point of what I do. So mm. when I kind of look at that, um, that initial kind of conversation of, uh, you know, it happening overnight, it wasn't overnight. It was the food blog maybe started in 2006 and it wasn't until kind of 2010, I think I was on. On TV, so it was a good four years before it kind of blew into a, a TV career and yeah. and the other side of things that have kind of come subsequently. And then I want to talk about YouTube because this is you know as a whole kind of planet that I'm not really aware of. But you got you know you started you got a call from Jamie Oliver, Jamie Oliver's Peoples, I suppose. Yes, Jamie Oliver's people saying you know come. To, to the food tube. Yes, well, so I actually... Which is incredible. It's, it's 4.5 million subscribers. Yes. This is, I mean, terrestrial TV dreams about these numbers. Yes. It just doesn't happen. Well, it's, it's an interesting one because I, I have, funny enough, with my very first cookbook... Um, slightly embarrassingly said Ireland's answer to Jamie Oliver on the front cover and I schlepped and I remember going oh god because then I came over to London with a like this is what I want an Orion Air flight with a suitcase full of books and schlepped my way around to different production companies who were willing to take a meeting and one of them was Jamie Oliver's production company and of course I hand the book over and it's Ireland Ireland's answer to Jamie Oliver and I'm like oh well just look past that and have a yeah. conversation so I actually Do you go like with a sharpie <laughs> <laughs> that one copy yeah what was underneath 
Oh, it was the oh, price. No, it was the no, price. It was the yeah. price. I just decided to have um, on the cover. But so I had met with um, Fresh One years previous, and um, I, the, one of the producers there had remembered me when they started Food Tube, and asked, "Would I be interested in coming on?" And at that stage, um, they were featuring a few new kind of talent people and um, getting them involved in that sense. And so, of course, when Jamie Oliver calls you, you definitely pick yeah. up the phone. And you know, there there was a huge opportunity there. So I, I would say I hadn't. I had a YouTube channel as much as most people might have a username and a password but I certainly wasn't uploading to it or understanding how it's used and actually at that time it had evolved to becoming you know a regular show if you had a YouTube channel you were uploading a video once a week so people knew at like 7.30 on a Sunday morning this is the video would be up and so they they taught us to kind of that was how it, it was run and um, subsequently I kind of went off and started my own YouTube channel and um, that actually has been one of the one of the largest kind of aspects of growing an international career because you know for up until that point I had been doing uh, TV shows on on Irish TV and um, one or two of them had kind of been sold into the UK. But I had never seen that kind of um, reaction that I'd had until I was on YouTube. There was one television show I did called Grandma's Boy where I cooked around the uh, around Italy with uh, Italian grandmothers, which was one of the most fantastic, that fantastic sounds, experiences I've yeah. ever had. I was 24 at the time and I, like, I still pinch myself thinking back because it was such an incredible opportunity and it was shown on Fox International and across the world I still get people coming up to me saying Grandma's Boy they don't even know they don't even know my name they just go Grandma's you, Boy Grandma. yeah. in the, and in the most random places like we were in, Viet, in a yeah. street food stall in Vietnam and someone came running up wanting a picture because it was Grandma's Boy you shout Grandma's yeah. Boy yeah, yeah that's yeah <laughs> hey everyone I've been on the go recently. Phoenix, Kansas City, Chicago. If you're like me and have a home but aren't always at home, you have an Airbnb. Hosting your home or a spare room is a very practical side hustle. If you live in a big game town, you can Airbnb your place for fans to stay in. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at Airbnb.com slash host. But uh, but the YouTube yeah. side of things, so that has kind of grown um, a huge other kind of market, and um, that, that's kind of your main platform. Now, it is, you? yes, yeah. We've eight hundred and fifty thousand subscribers now, and it's it it's it continues to grow. And and actually, it's it's funny we should talk about it now because I I find when we started it, YouTube was this happy clappy space where it was you know, hey guys, how's things? Blah blah yeah. blah, and. Actually, as the evolution of it has has come, you know, to be honest, you know, we're looking to try and find a bit more substance in the content, you know, and that has come with a bit of age and it's come with, you know, a change in in the way YouTube is approaching things, where I think when it started, it was a platform that featured cats on skateboards and, you know, these <laughs> clickbaity sort of shows, which still exists. But I think from a food perspective, you see Bon Appetit, who are making these almost like 20 minute long videos, yeah. which are almost like TV show episodes. And you have someone like Alex French Guy cooking who who nerds out on making a croissant making machine or you know the, the perfect knife and I love seeing that kind of evolution of what uh, you, you know for me and what YouTube has been for me has always been like a seven minute recipe video but now we're kind of looking we have a series called Click Plate where we dive into the, re- the the internet's most popular recipes and we kind of understand what makes them tick and we kind of you know dive a little bit deeper and, and I think that is really a good thing and it's something that well, well, tell, tell, tell us more about click plate yeah. <laughs> well actually we're, on Tuesday we're filming the next ser- series of it so we kind of look at what are the most popular recipes what are kind of having a zeitgeisty moment and looking to see 
just why and the history behind them. So um, give, give me an example. Uh, so we did uh, recently. We did Blooming Onions, which are these awful. Oh yeah, um, yeah, yeah. You know these. Uh, hey, well, you know great. they're like these American steakhouse classics, which are just you, you know, know, you know does have you seen them know before? What it is? They're basically slice them in in uh, so that petals kind of form, and then you deep fry them, and they're just ridiculously awful, but but kind of cult culty and you know um, quite interesting in that aspect but there's I, a, I think they're great there you go <laughs> I mean, <they're, laughs> there's nothing wrong with deep yeah. frying an onion you yeah. know but, <laughs> but there's a restaurant in Los Angeles called Nightshade which is a fantastic uh, Thai restaurant and the um, the chef there has created a blooming onion uh, a tom, tom yum blooming onion so it's taking this ridiculous uh, American classic and turning it into something that's quite elegant and it's presented with a coconut dipping sauce and all of a sudden it's quite interesting and it just had a moment there where it was kind of popping up on different menus and I was like this sounds really interesting there's a history to it and so I, I really like that idea and um, in this next series we're doing things like French dip sandwiches mm-hmm. things that are completely over the top but uh, you know the, the story behind them I think that's where going back to kind of the evolution of what YouTube is becoming I think there is there is a more of a want for substance to the recipes where we, we used to kind of crank out six recipes a day in a, in a studio now we're kind of looking to the pre-production side of things and something that from a TV point of view that we would have always applied to our kind of, you know, the TV shows we would make. Now we're kind of looking to giving a bit more to that from a YouTube perspective. So it is, it's something that kind of has started out as as one thing and has completely changed and morphed into something as, as time has moved on. And I think you personally, I'm sure there's moments here where you, you want to kind of do something a little bit different. And I think it's a good time to, to have those conversations. So much creativity and so much energy and actually the most interesting things happening in that sphere mm. the, all the most creative things are happening in well, that, that actually, sphere because at the initial stage of YouTube the most exci- at, the, at that stage I had only done traditional television and so we had a commissioning editor who was kind of calling the shots we had a producer who was and so your involvement in the creation of it was quite far removed whereas yeah. we were catapulted onto YouTube and all of a sudden I can cook whatever I like and you know that has resulted in awful things like one pan pastas and uh, things that you might not hang your hat on but certainly you know have, have been part, privy to kind of the evolution of what it's become so in a way it's that it's back to the blog like YouTube became the new version of the food blog for me yeah. because it, it allowed you to have that conversation back and forth and can I tell you I'm sure uh, if you've been on YouTube you can see comment sections they are very vocal about whether they like something or not <laughs> yeah. and especially if you make a balls of you know an Italian recipe or you know or an Asian recipe so like it's in that way it's quite a democratic way of, of viewing things and, and I think in some ways when you're in a traditional TV um, realm and a, a cookbook realm it's very hard to get that instant feedback you know where going back to the food blog side of things I love the fact that like you might have seven comments underneath a recipe with someone telling you they, they liked it or they didn't like it and it was that instant way of kind of directing your content and uh, that being said I, I do think you still have to c- go back to cooking what you really want to cook rather than yeah. it being directed solely by other people's you know clicks <laughs> you can say a lot of terrible things about social media and, and it is you know there are a lot of terrible things but I really enjoy having direct conversation mm. with people without, you know, sort of editing. And I really enjoy what you said, the, the mega geeking out. <laughs> yes. And the just, you know, I think we've all 
had you know more than one night going into these rabbit holes <laughs> in a way that I could have been doing seven minute recipes for the rest for the next 25 years but actually now we're looking at different ways of communicating that story and um, like we said those sort of geeking out videos you know there people are looking for substance rather than just a quick recipe video so in that sense there's um, there's definitely a change and, and, and it's not necessarily a bad thing I think you kind of have to look to no, st- no. not stay the same all the time we, we love change mm. we love change this book has been with us for a week now it is that it is in the service of the home cook it's you know the food just kind of happens almost mm. and you know you will we'll, you will see from what we cook it's delicious it's really really good stuff Thank you. you know you have a young family quite a ha- uh, hectic life i think mm. and it is true that you do need to kind of take a step back and be a little bit more planned about Yes. Your food, otherwise you call As I in. take a deep breath. And yeah, <laughs> yes. yeah. As I, I love the the bit uh, at the beginning that you call your son the Emperor Noah. What is it? <laughs> the incoherent, incoherent dictator that, the incoherent I, that I live dictator. with. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Small uh, Chairman Mao. He? Yeah. <laughs> He's one and a half now and he certainly rules the roost. And becoming a new parent is, is an incredibly challenging thing. I'm sure anyone who has experienced it has realized that you are no longer in control. And, you know, your day is now dictated by someone who has no idea what they want, but will demand your time every second of the day. So it's been uh, it's been quite refreshing and you know, humbling in, a, in lots of ways and myself and my wife have always worked together now she is she's mother to Noah and I mean looks after a lot of the business side of things but very much kind of it's changed our lives it's upended our lives in, in lots of ways and, and in, in great ways I mean it's, it's amazing it's an amazing journey to, to be on and nine books in I've really felt a need to hone what the recipes should become and, and also kind of to understand the needs of, of people who are coming home from a long day at work and do have a child screaming at you everyone exactly everyone has that experience of you know standing in front of the the kitchen cupboards going what's for dinner tonight I don't think I can do it tonight the books have become almost a selfish endeavor to to some extent because it is the recipes I, I always I often think of them as a playbook for the year to come and you know the, like the sort of things I want to be cooking and the sort of things that I need you know this serves a purpose these are recipes that are doable for the home cook and you know this there's the obvious obvious things that you know a publisher wants like 30 minutes and 10 ingredients or less but actually that's not just a sell it's a, it's a really relevant part of the recipes because we are looking to more simple approaches to the kitchen and I would say you know we talked about and I'm I'm thrilled that you've enjoyed the recipes but it is for me has always been flavor and really trying to eke out flavor in a simple way and and being willing to kind of cheat in some ways you know like there's a chipotle paste yeah. in there that that really just inv- invokes this smoky element to a simple tin of tomatoes that's mixed with some chickpeas or tin beans and add some prawns in at the last minute once it's simmering and you have this gorgeous simple smoky flavorful stew Top it with some av- avocado and lime juice and it's you're in heaven with coriander and it's just instant flavour and this is much more about kind of upping the veg intake and going back to our original conversation about good mood food, you know, it it has always played a part. You know, food in everyone's life plays such an in, yeah. impactful part of, yeah. of how we approach the day from a sim- you know, the simple moment of what do you eat for breakfast, you know, and how does that impact how miserable you are in the morning or, or not, I, you know. I love about the book is the little chart 
Yes. Tell a little bit about that because you know I know we're, we're just there's just two of us at home mm -hmm. and you know we, we are professional cooks but still we get home and there's nothing and you which know, is ridiculous. Which what is ridiculous. As people who work, it in always food, happens, isn't it? Because I like that's where I was tearing my hair out, going, "How do I work with food all day, every day, and still come to this point where I'm standing in front of the, the fridge and going?" Oh God, what's for dinner? I have no idea. So it is like I think it's what every you know person who kind of works in food will will eventually come to. Yeah, but and I, but, and I think you know throw a kid or two in the mix. <laughs> what what do you do? I like, know, I know. What do you do? So the chart for me, I mean, I call it my my meal and minutes plan of attack because it is that kind of. Uh, one thing that I kind of think six months into into our first um, experience with a child was like we just have to approach this with some sort of military ac accuracy because it's an absolute I hope you don't mind me swearing but it's an absolute shit show and <laughs> it's all over the place I, I my wife's not sleeping I'm barely getting sleep everyone's kind of all over the place and so it had to be structured I hate to kind of force that down people's necks because I know there's only some people that will be relevant to and but I think the people it is relevant to is it's highly relevant you know so approaching uh, the kitchen in a very different way where it does feel manageable it does feel like you've done that little bit of preparation that will save you time in advance and you know I, I, I'm not coming from a place of I've come up with an, uh, an idea that looks like it's going to sell a book this is something that it genuinely is what we follow at home no, I'm sure you know, And when I first approached the sort of meal planning side of things, I, as a slight perfectionist, I love to kind of make lists and I love to make kind of plans and schedules. And of course, nothing gets like kept to it. Yeah. I love a clipboard and then it sits in the corner and never gets used. But so for me, when I started meal planning, it was the breakfast, the lunch, the dinner, the snack in between lunch, the snack, you know, the popcorn, the, the lovely, you know, whatever it was. And it just became this shopping list that was like 400 quid and something absolutely outrageously ridiculous that then you You left, get, end up with ridiculous leftovers that you never get to. So my ethos on it is, you know, I will go to five key meals that I, I've thought about that I might, it might be from uh, my cookbook or it might be from another cookbook, from your cookbook or, you know, or, or something I've seen the idea of that I'd like to recreate. And I'll plan that out on a Monday, for, Monday to Friday um, operational schedule. And um, the idea behind that really is that, you know, I might not cook them all. But I know I have the ingredients to hand. And so when it does come to what's for dinner, I know it could be the Mexican something bean stew or, yeah, yeah. Yeah, or something to fall back on. So, you know, I think I always say, and this is a constant, an ongoing conversation in our family, is that like it's having some element of a plan. And if it all goes tits up, at least you have something to go back to. Um, so <laughs> at that's least where, you had a plan. <laughs> there, yeah. We did have a rough plan. And, you know, so I think um, that's where that kind of was born out of. And, and again, like over the years, there's been so many tips I've picked up Up in terms of like my my aunt when you know those first food styling jobs I used to assist her on she would send me to the shops and one of the key things she taught me from a very early age was to make proper shopping lists so to lay it out in the way that the supermarket was was laid out so you would start with your fruit and veg you'd work to the kind of you know dairy section then you'd go down the middle and it would be the store cupboard uh, stuff and then you'd end up at the butcher counter and then maybe the booze section if you need if you really needed if you had a rough week but that is, it, that is genius it, but it means you're not darting yeah. around the supermarket because anyone who, who's made a list to go to the shops you know you'll find yourself going over there and you're flying over there and you've got oh, no but then you're so organized and saying he's moved the world foods of the world well, this is and then you die yeah, then you yeah, have a meltdown complete, yes that's that's what happens, yeah. does happen as much as I kind of I cringe on one level at this ridiculous thing that I've kind of or this um, whip I've <laughs> I've made or this you know thing I've made for to beat myself with the back but actually it does have a payoff and it does you know when it comes to cooking the recipes in the book if you follow those kind of little tips it really does help it's real food that 
tastes fantastic and you know and really gets some of the good stuff into your diet so don't know we can go on for hours i didn't ask you half the things i wanted to but i feel that if i'm not going to feed these people it's going to be a stampede and people are just they're getting hungry what time is it bits of chicken yeah, yeah. so guys exactly. i want to ask you for a big big hand thank you to donald for coming listening to our latest episode if you'd like to join one of the next talks please follow us on social media at honey and co or go on our website honeyandco.co.uk with a huge thanks to Hester Kant for producing a special thanks to our own Louisa Cornford for her wonderful research and the music is by the lovely Alice Russell thanks for listening